Good morning, everybody. I trust we are all doing well. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We are grateful for the assembly of the brethren. We thank you that you have a word in season for us. And your word will come forth in power, in simplicity, and in clarity of speech. Thank you for what you do in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I promised three weeks ago, we are going to deal under the sub-theme, the metrics of a built-up church, of our current series, His Church, The Church. And today is the sixth installment the last time we talked about the purpose of the ministry gifts to the local church and we said that the purpose of the ministry gifts and when we look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 it specifically outlines the ministry gifts as the apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher they are collective rule the assignment God has given to these fivefold ministries to the church is to equip the saints and last three weeks, we went ahead to uh, define the meaning of the word equip. It means to set broken bones or men nets. And when the fivefold ministry involves in the task of equipping the saints, they equip the saints so that the saints will be able to do the work of ministry. And we went ahead to define works of ministry as works of service. So when we come to church and gather as an assembly the fivefold ministry's job is to mend bones figuratively speaking um no mend nets i'm sorry and set broken bones in place figuratively speaking it's it's the it's the meaning of the word equip to perfect to mature so that the saints we will be able to do works of service in our community, among our friends, loved ones, and so on and so forth. And uh, we came to realize that it is in the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry that the church will be built up. And we went on to define what this word built up means. It means to be strengthened and to expand. So the church is expanded and it becomes strengthened when the saints are equipped and when the saints are equipped they are equipped for the work of the ministry which the resultant effect of that is the church will be strengthened and will be expanded which is the meaning of the word being built up or the church being edified so on the heels of that um in verse 12 which which outlines the end goal of the church we will now want to talk about what does it mean when a church is built up or what does it mean when the church is edified? So we are going to look at verse 13 for that. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, I read. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ to the measure of the stature 
of the fullness of Christ. Amen. Now, my key word in this verse is till. What's the meaning of this word till? When you look at the meaning of this word till, it means as far as up to a certain point denoting the terminus. I mean, when we talk about the terminus, the terminus means the end point. You know, sometimes if you watch some of these um, um, scenes on the geographic channel, especially when it comes to scaling a mountain to reach the top, if you listen to the commentary, the commentary will be mentioning things like terminus. Uh, you are able to reach the terminus of Mount Everest, for example. And the terminus of Mount Everest is the top of it. You know, Mount Everest is known to be 29,000 and over. If you are able to stand at the top of the 29,000 feet of Everest, you are at the terminus. So when we are talking about this word till, this word till means that you have to go up to the end point of what God has desired the church to be like. So um, this word till has a lot of implications. The church being edified or being built up is not a blanket statement. That's why the word till is very important. Now, how you know the church has come to a place of expansion and a, a, a place of strength, as the Bible calls it, edifying? Certain hallmarks and features in verse 13 makes the point clear for our understanding. That is why verse 13 starts with the word till. Now, there are certain implications of the word till in our verse that I want to highlight on today. When you see the word till in the text, it robs us of complacency. It means we have to build the church until the church arrives at a certain point. You see? So that word till there means we can't rest. It's not a time to be complacent. So when God assigns any of the fivefold ministries to be involved in the task of building a church, you are robbed of complacency. There is nothing like I have achieved, I have attained, I have made it because of the word till. It robs us of that ability to feel complacent and rest of our on our laws. We have to build the church until we arrive at a certain point. The next implication of the word till also means building a church it takes a minister's lifetime. If you read verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4 very carefully, it uses the word edifying and not edified. It's not past tense, it's present continuous. Suffice it to say, when a minister takes on the responsibility to be involved in building ministry, it takes a minister's lifetime. It doesn't just take a fraction of his life, it takes his lifetime you know, it's like a marriage until death do you part. So, building takes a very long time. The third implication that I want us to see is that when you talk about the word till, it also means that you don't set up your own metrics. You build the church according to Christ's pattern. You know, everything is built by a pattern. You know, in the Old Testament, God was very particular about pattern. When he told Moses to build the tabernacle and when he gave him the stipulations and all the measurements he told him build it according to pattern 
God is very concerned about pattern. When Solomon was building the, 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 the temple, that he had to build it according to pattern. You don't just build it anyhow and how you feel like. In that same vein, when we are building the church, when we are involved in building the church, we have to build it according to Christ's pattern. Christ's pattern serves as the blueprint. So you can't tell me you are edifying a church. You can't tell me your church that you are pastoring is built up when you forsake the blueprints for what it means to call a church edified. It has to be according to Christ's pattern. And when you read Ephesians chapter 5, you and I will know that Christ is the head of the church. So you can't tell me that your church is what it is if you are not following the master's blueprints, if you are not following his pattern by which he wants it to be built. Are you understanding me? Now, with that said, we want to talk about metrics. What's the meaning of metrics? Metrics means a measuring unit or a standard of measurement. And in, in the verse that we just read, we saw certain key indicators that shows that the church is being built. And based on that, we will want to take those indicators and look at it from a scriptural point of view on what it truly means when the Bible says that the body of Christ is being edified. I will liken this to knowing your weight, your weight and your height. You know your weight and your height not because you guessed. You know your weight because probably you went to the doctor's office and then they had to measure your, your height and that's how probably you know your height. You know your weight because you probably tipped the skills. See, you can't know these things by guessing. Likewise, when it comes to you are building a church, you don't do guesstimation. Let me even use that. That's guessing and estimating. You don't, you don't guesstimate. <laughs> you, you have to do it according to Christ's pattern, which is the blueprint for every New Testament church. So with that said, let's go. Number one, we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, the phrase faith there is talking about the understanding of the religious beliefs of Christians. So this is a broad knowledge concerning anything Christian. You see, so the first indicator that shows that the church is being built is when we all come to the unity of the faith. We can say that a church is being built when all members come to the agreement of the tenets of the Christian faith. Now, the word tenet there means principles. We, we, we come together and we have the same agreements concerning certain established principles of the Christian faith. And we realize that when we come together in the unity of the faith, it promotes concord or unity among believers. In fact, this um, scripture, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, Reminds me of one of my good friends. He always quotes this verse for some reason. And the first time I heard this verse, he quoted it. And, and it's, it's, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And one of the ways by which we are able to keep the unity of the Spirit is when members of the household agree on the principles of the Christian faith. It is one of the reasons why Sunday school is established. 
So one of the ways by which we can all come to the unity of the faith is through Sunday schools being established. And that is why in every ICC locale worldwide, um, Sunday school features prominently because what we are doing is we are learning scriptures from the Bible. We are learning of certain principles that we can all come to an agreement of as an assembly which will help in the cohesiveness and the promoting of the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. So, uh, Sunday school is not a Baptist thing. It is not a kick. It is something that really needs to be enforced because it is through that that we will be able to achieve the first pillar or key indicator of a built-up church. We all come together in the unity of the faith. Amen. Let me even ask you some questions. Do you know God? Who is Jesus to you? Have you experienced the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what is the fruit of the Spirit? Is your life evident of that? Can you explain the doctrine of water baptism? What does the Bible tell you of heaven and hell? Explain to me the assurance of salvation. What is your destiny? When the church doesn't come to the unity of the faith, it becomes a divided front. So these questions I throw about, these are some of the things that members of a church should all have the same agreement towards to. And when we all have the same agreement towards to and we are cohesive concerning our beliefs, it is called coming together in the unity of the faith. Christ, the head of the church, says that when the church is being built, this is the first key indicator. We all come together in the unity of the faith. So when it comes to God, we all have to have the same cohesiveness of agreement towards God. When it comes to water baptism, we all have to have the same cohesiveness of agreement towards water baptism. It's called working together in the unity of the faith. So, like I said, when the church doesn't come together in the unity of the faith, it becomes a divided front. Romans chapter 16 verse 17. I want us to look at this scripture and pay particular close attention to it. Now I urge you, brethren, Know that those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and avoid them. So you see what happens when we don't come together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, which happens as a result of coming together in the unity of the faith. The Bible lets us know there are divisions and there are offenses. So in a church where offenses and divisions are rife and abound, it is a sure sign that the first indicator that it takes to build a church is not prevalent. We all need to come together to the unity of the faith. That means certain principles of the Christian faith. If you call yourself a member of the household of faith or of any church, we all have the same agreement. It pro- promotes cohesiveness. It co- promotes a united front because if that doesn't happen, and when we have different beliefs concerning certain doctrines, it promotes division and it promotes offense and it doesn't glorify God. Amen. Now let's look at the second key indicator. The second key indicator is of the knowledge of Jesus. 
It says that we all have of the knowledge of the Son of God, which is the same as Jesus. Now, the word knowledge here in this text is precise, correct knowing. And last year in our Midweek Bible Study series on growth and fruitfulness, we really did an expose on the word knowledge. In fact, it means epignosis. And it, it means knowledge in a context. So we, we, the first one talks about broad knowledge. We have to have a broad knowledge of the Christian faith, every principle that guides the Christian faith. Now, this is talking about having knowledge of just the Son of God. And when we use the word knowledge there, it means that we should have a precise, correct, and accurate understanding of who Christ is. And what is the source of that? The source of that is the Bible. From January, we have kept on talking about this, that if you really want to know Jesus, it's not through tradition, it's not through stories that people may have passed down, you will have to read this Bible for yourself because John chapter 5 says that these scriptures, they testify of me. These scriptures make Jesus as plain as day and as clear as light. If you ever want to know Jesus, Jesus is not shrouded in a mystery. It is through the Bible that we will know Jesus. So the second key indicator through which we know that the body of Christ is being edified is when it comes to the knowledge of Jesus and it is found in the Bible. Amen. Now, a built-up church is a place where Christ is made known in doctrine which affects the manner of living among our members. So, wherever Christ is being preached, it affects our conduct, it affects our lifestyle, and it, it becomes evidence for the world and for people at large to see. Now, when we talk about Christ, there are certain things that we should have an idea of who Christ is. Talking about the nature. Who is Christ to you? His nature. Now, what are his ministries? I'm talking about the past, the present, and the future. You know, the past ministry of Jesus was he redeemed us. He redeemed us from the power of sin by dying on the cross, being buried, and he resurrected. All this implication of his activities on the earth signaled the era of redemption. What is Christ doing presently? Presently. There is something that he is doing presently. One of his offices is that he is a high priest who is interceding daily on our behalf. There are many ministries of Christ presently, but one of them is he's our high priest. In fact, one of the series that I, I think I kept mentioning last year that I said I was going to do was the present day ministry of Jesus, and I'm going to do that. Then when we talk about the future ministry of Christ, he is coming back as a judge. And when he comes back, he's coming to judge both the living and the dead on how they live their lives and and assign to them their destiny. But in between the past and the future, there is a middle called the present-day ministry of Jesus. And many people are not cognizant of the present-day ministry of Jesus. When we talk about having a knowledge of the Son of God, you need to know 
the ministries of Christ, not just his nature. Who is Christ? The nature of Christ. You have to know his ministries. Number three, his humanity. That's important. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 to 11 lets us know that Christ who was God, in the same class as God, he condescended into to a man of low estate and took on the form of man and walked on this earth, humbled himself, became obedient unto the point of death. That was Christ, his humanity. And it's important for us to understand that when you read 2nd John, 2nd John is only one book. I don't even know why I put two. I'm sorry, 2nd John is only one book. When you read 2nd John, the whole of 2nd John is just one chapter. I, I think from verse 7 to 11, the Bible lets us know that if you don't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as the Son of God, you are an antichrist. That's what the Bible says. So you see, Antichrist is not just the evil son of perdition that will come and he will be a reign of terror on this earth. An Antichrist too is someone who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as a man and he died for our sins. So we have to understand the humanity of Jesus. Number four, we also have to understand his divinity and sovereignty. When I talk about divinity, what do I mean? Divinity means that Jesus is not just man, he's also God. He's the son of God and he's equal with God. Jesus is God. He's part of the Trinity. When we talk about sovereignty, I'm talking about the supremacy of Christ. One of the titles of Jesus in the book of Revelation is he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And that is why he has every power vested in him to judge man one day. Because he is supreme. He is sovereign. The fifth thing we will have to know about Christ is his doctrine. What did he teach? What are his teachings? And when we are talking about that, we also have to talk about salvation. You can't divorce salvation from the person of Christ. Because without Christ, there is no salvation. And then, the benefits of being in Christ. When you read the Bible carefully, you look at the outline, the structure of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There are about 21 books, 21 books that talks about the benefits of being in Christ. And that's from Romans to Jude. And in between Romans and Jude are 21 books. And these books explain the significance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The benefits of being in Christ. So, a church is a place where Christ should not be shrouded in mystery. A church should be a place where the knowledge of Christ grows deeper and deeper. And most importantly, the knowledge that you have received of Christ, it has to affect your life and affect how you live for him. So church should not be a place where Christ is shrouded in mystery. It's very unfortunate that in today's world, we know everything except Christ. We know many things, but we don't know Christ. Some, some of the things that we even say, this is common knowledge to Christians, it, it sounds foreign because we don't know it. Many people don't even know who Christ is. 
They might quote to you what they may have watched of a Jesus movie, but it's deeper than that. That's why the source, the source of knowing who Christ is, is the Bible. Who Christ is. So today, ask yourself, am I being built up? Do I really know who Christ is? Because the second indicator of the church being edified is that the church comes to a place of the knowledge of the Son of God, who is Jesus. We have to know Jesus. And there is something that happens when we know Jesus. Look at this scripture in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. And I read, To them... God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. So Christ is known as the riches of the glory of a mystery. So when you have Christ, you have the riches of all glory, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we preach. Oh, thank God. Apostle Paul didn't preach any message than Christ. Christ was the message he preached. And I pray that may our pulpits be Christocentric. May our pulpits be Christ-centered. May we preach Christ again. It's good to preach on marriage. It's good to preach on finances. But every subject matter that we tackle, we have to make sure that the base of the subject is in Christ. That the centrality of every subject is Christ-centered. May we come back to that? Because until we come back to that, church will not make an effect. It will not make an effect. There are many subject matters that we can talk about, but we have to come to the place where all our messages have to be based, all our messages have to be centered on Christ. Apostle says that it is Christ that we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. It is only when Christ is being preached, it is only when Christ is made known that the church will come to a place of perfection. Which brings me to my third point. The third key indicator to knowing that a church is being edified is when people become perfect. Now, when we are talking about perfect here, I'm not talking about flawless. When I'm talking about perfect here, I'm not talking about you will not make a mistake. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about perfect here, I am talking about maturity. Perfect here means mature in understanding, which affects how you live. That's what I'm talking about. So perfect doesn't mean you will not sin. Perfect doesn't mean you will not make a mistake. You will. You will make mistakes. You will sin. You will commit boo-boos. But get back on your feet and see yourself as the righteousness of God and keep on keeping on. Let me tell you something. God doesn't expect perfection from any of us. He doesn't expect flawlessness from any of us because none of us can be flawless. But what God expects from us is to grow. What God expects from us is to be matured. What God expects to, from us is that each and every waking day of our Christian life, there is some growth, there is some step in our, our maturity as Christians, 
and it shows forth in our conduct. That's what God expects from us. But he is not expecting flawlessness because it's a mindless pursuit. Are you understanding me? The church is being built when her members are experiencing growth and spiritual maturity. Knowing scriptures is a good exercise and I believe we should encourage it. Because knowing scriptures, memorizing scriptures and speaking it, that is the sword of the spirit. However, it is better when your life embodies the scriptures you quote. That's a perfect man. That's a mature man. So it's not just about rah-rah, just quoting the scriptures here and there. But it's also putting the scriptures into practice. The scriptures that you quote, you put them into practice. So when you quote on love, you put love into practice. When you quote on giving, you put giving into practice. When you quote on do not worry, you put do not worry into practice. Let the scriptures that we know, the scriptures that we've committed to memory, let it show forth in our lives. It means we are coming to a place of maturity. Now, there is something amazing. When the Bible talks about you are maturing, it doesn't leave it as a blanket statement. Our maturity is measured. Do you understand? So, for example, how will you know I have a size 10 feet? You won't know I have a size 10 feet by looking at my feet closely or guessing. You will know I have a size 10 feet if you put a size 10 shoe there. And if my feet is able to fit into it, then I have a size 10 feet. Likewise, when we say you are maturing, how will we know you are maturing? How will we know you are becoming spiritual? We will not know by looking at you. We will not know by looking at how you worship the Lord. We will not know by how pious you might even behave at church. We will know because it has to be measured. There is a metric to it. And the latter part of verse 13 lets us know that it is measured to the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, for us to know that truly you are being perfected or truly you are being matured, it has to be measured to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Christ dwells in us. The fullness of Christ dwells in us. Are we attaining the age each and every day? Is the fruit of the Spirit being made manifest in our lives? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we measure ourselves to the, the age of the fullness of Christ, are these fruits popping out of our spirits? Are we behaving more like Christ? Are we talking more like Christ? Are we doing good more like Christ? Acts chapter 10 verse 13. The Bible says that how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. Are you doing good as a Christian? Are you being more like Christ? Are you being filled with the anointing of, and the power of the Lord walking about doing wonders in the name of Jesus, witnessing to God the miracle power of God? Are you doing that? That is what will let us know that of a truth, you are maturing. So maturity is not a blanket statement. It is measured. And it is measured according to the stature of the fullness of God. Now, it seems like an impossible task. But I will tell you, how do we get there? We will only get there 
by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job for us to attain the stature of Christ. None of us can do it by will. None of us can do it by zeal. It is by the Holy Spirit. And when you read Romans chapter 8 verse 14, the Bible lets us know, For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit leads us to sonship. The Holy Spirit leads us into perfection. And we will have to submit to him. It's his work. He is the one that is able to take us there. And he will take us there through the knowledge of Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit also doesn't work in a vacuum. He will do that through the knowledge of Christ. So the more we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help us to attain that stature of the fullness of Christ, which is the complete measurements of being spiritually matured. Do we all understand that? It truly takes the influence of the Holy Spirit to grow into sonship and truly live like a son of God. I end on this. In today's message, we have learned what it truly means when the body of Christ is being edified. The body of Christ being edified is present continuous, not past tense. We never attain until we partake of the resurrection. Always remember that. So in Christian circles, you can't say things like, I've made it. No, you've not made it. You are making it. Because we haven't attained until we partake of the resurrection. So we are always going to be WIP, work in progress. We are always going to be work in progress. And when I, when I was in school, one of the remarks I ever hated was when the teacher would mark you and write more room for improvement. And what was that? Just put excellent or very good. Oh, what's more room for improvement? Like, wow, it's, it's so humiliating. Like, after everything you have done, they will just write, more room for improvement. What's more room for improvement? Just put excellent there. And today, if Christ should mark us, he will say, more room for improvement. The statements I hate. Why? Because we can always get to the next level. We have never attained. We should never rest on our laurels. We have never attained until we reach the price of the high calling, which is to partake of Christ's resurrection. It's present continuous. And we have learned of three indicators that shows that the church is being edified, which means it's being expanded and being strengthened. We all come to the unity of the faith. It's important that members of the household of faith have a commonality of beliefs when it comes to the principles that guides the Christian faith. Number two, we all come to the knowledge of Christ. It is important that if you call yourself a member and you are being built up, you should know Christ. And all these seven questions I asked about Christ, you should have an idea, a fair idea, an answer about this, knowing that you truly know Christ. And most importantly, when you know Christ, it should affect how you even live for Christ because you have experienced an encounter. The third thing that we have experienced is that the members of a church come to a perfect man. And what does it mean to come to a perfect man? It means to be spiritually mature. And how we know you are spiritually mature? It is measured according to the stature 
of the fullness of Christ. And mind you, for us to get to that stature, the age of the fullness of Christ is the Holy Spirit's work. Let's learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to work in us that will be able to attain that age of, of, of fullness of Christ through the knowledge of God, which Paul preached. Because when he preached that message, the Bible lets us know that he presents to the church a perfect man. Amen. In my prep time, I couldn't help but think of myself and every ministry gift assigned with the responsibility of edifying saints for the work of ministry, which will result in the church being edified. Folks, ministry gifts, especially pastors, who are at the head of an assembly have a huge burden which needs the prayers and the support of members. They also need the grace of God. So in the spirit of this message, can we intercede for every ministry gift involved in the church that we will fulfill our mandates and build the church according to his pattern? So you can't tell me you are, you are, you are, your, your church is being built up when these three indicators are not showing. All these three indicators have to show. The members of your house, they all have to come to a commonality of belief when it comes to the principles that guide the Christian faith. The members of your house, they all have to come to the knowledge of the Son of God. The members of your house, they all have to come to a place where they are experiencing spiritual maturity. Of a truth, then we can see the church is really being built according to Christ's pattern who is the head of the church. So, pray for us. Apostle Paul, in all his epistles, he asks for prayers. So today, pray for us. Pray that we will fulfill our ministry mandates and build the church according to pattern. And number two, pray that we will experience the grace of God because it really takes grace for us to be able to do such an arduous task. Can we open our mouths and begin to pray for pastors? Father, have mercy on every pastor, on every ministry gift involved in the church. We pray that may we fulfill our ministry mandate and build the church according to pattern, O oh Lord. Today, I'm not praying for yourself. Pray for every pastor, every ministry gift that is involved in the church that we will fulfill our ministry mandate and we will build it according to pattern. It's important to build it according to pattern. The Lord told Moses, build the tabernacle according to pattern. Solomon built the temple according to pattern. New Testament ministry gifts, we also have to build the church according to pattern. That is, we all come to the unity of the faith. All our members will come 
to the knowledge of the Son of God, and all our members will come to a place of perfection where we can say of a truth, they are growing spiritually and they are being matured in the faith day by day. Pray for us in the name of Jesus. Pray for grace. We need more grace, more grace, more grace, grace to do this work. For the Bible says, it's not of him that willeth or runneth, but God that showeth mercy. Look, no matter how much will you have, you can't do this work by yourself. You will need the help of God and grace, especially at work, to be able to fulfill this ministry mandate. Pray for us in the name of Jesus. We want to pray for every pastor. We pray for grace, O Lord. Grace, O Lord. Grace, O Lord. May every ministry gift be graced in the name of Jesus. Every ministry gift assigned with the responsibility of building the church. May they be graced for this assignment in the name of Jesus. We pray that may we not deviate from our calling, Lord. But Father, we pray that may we have your standards as our blueprints for building the church. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise. Give you praise. Father, we pray for every ministry gift. May we build the church according to your pattern. And may we have in mind that we will present the church back to the head of the church, which is you. And Father, when we are judged, may we score well that indeed we have been faithful to our task. We thank you for what we have learned today on the metrics of a built-up church. Father, we pray that you write this message on the tables of all hearts who have heard this message, that we can run with this message in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hand over to Pastor Robert for the announcements.